Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .net. I'm Sean Kleber, your host, and today we have two co-hosts with me. Wait, Lou. Hey, wait. Hey, Sean. Good. How you doing? Good. We missed you last week. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now we understand. Problem. Yeah. Can't remember why. Actually. Six kids, I think, maybe. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> we we recorded at noon my time. Oh. Okay. Which is like yeah. three or four a.m. your time. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't gonna get up at that early. <laughs> Love talking to you guys, but too early. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and then I'll there's me. Caleb Wells. Yeah. Yep. Right. Caleb Wells. Yep. How are y'all? Yep. Good. 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 So just the three of us today. Yes. A, a little conversation about uh, some more Blazer stuff. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up, before my birthday that's december 14th if you sign up before my birthday you can get 50 percent off the lifetime of your subscription once again that's topendevs.com yeah you guys know i'm i'm deep into blazer so it's a it's a perfect topic for me to, to dive into and you know hopefully people find it interesting slash useful today I thought we could talk a little bit about the Blazor hosting models. And it's not what you're thinking initially, right? You're thinking server versus WebAssembly. It's not where I'm going. Because I think most people who have any familiarity with Blazor know the server side and the WebAssembly, right? There happens to be a third hosting model, which is Blazor hybrid, but I think it's still experimental. And so we're we're not going to get into that either. But what we are going to talk about for a little bit is that WebAssembly actually has two models itself. And, I, and I've actually had this discussion with coworkers and it doesn't always come across because everybody's like, well, it's WebAssembly, right? And yeah, it is. But when you spin up a new WebAssembly project in Visual Studio, there's a little checkbox that says ASP.NET Core hosted or something along those lines. And this checkbox determines whether the template creates a standalone WebAssembly project or a hosted WebAssembly project. So the difference uh, is actually pretty significant once you get in and start using it uh, up front. It may just seem like, oh, it's just a little different project structure and the way it's doing things. But but I've used both in there. Like I said, there's some significant differences. So if you're doing standalone, that is just one project with Blazor WebAssembly, right? And the idea is that this standalone project doesn't have to talk to a backend, right? If it's going to be a static site with some content that's not going to need to necessarily talk to APIs or databases, Standalone is perfect, and it runs anywhere and on anything. 
right? And that's not to say with standalone, you can't talk to, to APIs, right? Of course, you're not going to talk directly to a database because spas shouldn't talk directly to a database. But standalone, it's a smaller package typically, right? And um, of course, you have your WW w root you can put you know your bootstrap an open iconic or fun awesome or whatever in there you can create services that talk to apis but it's all encapsulated within this this one project and when it gets published right it gets published with the 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 wasm information the dlls it needs and you're good to go right and this is a Perfect use case for Azure's static apps. I believe that's what they're calling it, static apps, where you can run, you know, like Angular or React without having to have a service running in Azure, right? Super cheap. I mean, last time I checked, it was free, but I haven't touched my website in probably a year now. But you can also host Blazor in in this same Azure infrastructure, right? And standalone, in my experience, can be easier to use to a certain extent. Because, like I said, it's all inside one project and you don't have to worry about funky references to, to a, uh, a different project or solution. Funky is a technical term, by the way. <laughs> but I've also ran into some quirks, right? And, you know, these may be because of the, the situation that I was in or the third party API I was calling, but it was actually uh, redirecting the API call internally to the root of the Blazor standalone project instead of from the page you were on, right? Because technically that page doesn't exist. And the third-party API I was calling was kicking it back because of a core's pre-flight security issue because it had done a redirect, right? And I tried a few things to get it to work and was unsuccessful, but I had other options and this third-party API was fairly limited. So I went with my other options. This other option is the hosted version. And the reason this option exists is if your front end and your back end are both .NET or .NET Core. So, so with the standalone, right? Well, you could run both of them on Linux or Windows or whatever. But with the standalone, right? You could be talking to, to a node back end or again, like I said, no back end at all. With hosted, it assumes that you, everything that you're doing is, is within .NET. And so what it ends up creating with this template is three projects within the same solution, a client project, a server project, and a shared project. And what it does is the client is going to be your, your front end components with your www root. And you can, you can have, this is also where you can have your CSS. You can also have it in external library or actually in your shared library for that matter. And it has the same program, pretty much the same one you're going to get in the standalone. The big difference here is the server project. The server project has its own program, .cs, which has additional services and functionality so that they work together. And I've found when you're wanting to add extra services or, for instance, when you're wanting to do identity server, the hosted version is easier because you're not limited to just the standalone. And if you go on GitHub and search for Blazor WebAssembly, the majority of projects that you will find are using the hosted model. I think it's a little more bulletproof isn't the right word, but robust, I guess, and gives you more control of certain areas of Blazor. The really interesting thing, well, 
course, there are a number of interesting things about Blazor. But the really interesting thing about this one is that if you select the client project and run the solution, you will get your Blazor app and you will get your UI. But with the default Blazor app, right, you get home, counter, fetch data, right? Home and counter will work. If you go to fetch data, it will blow up. And the reason it blows up is because this template expects you to start the server project. And the server project then bootstraps the front end. It pulls it in and basically takes the the bin output from the client and includes it with the server, which is which is really uh, at first it was really odd, but it's it's cool how it works. So the server project is expected to be your startup project. And when you start it up, you're going to get the same front end that you got from the client. But if you go to fetch data, you're actually going to get data back. And the difference here is that the server project is a glorified web API uh, or .NET API. And so it has a weather forecast controller inside of it, and the client calls it to get the data, and it returns it back to the client. So when you go to publish this guy, the publish output is actually going to be in the server project, and it's going to have it all mixed in together. The other benefit, I guess, of doing this is your shared library. For instance, with weather forecast, it actually has the model that's used by both the client and the server in this shared project. And, right, and you could do that anyway. You're, you're not limited regardless because, right, one of the things about .NET and C Sharp is resharing models. But I feel like they built this structure or template for, for applications that you're going to build and then deploy. Right. Not, not necessarily microservices, definitely not applications that are going to be uh, a part of a larger infrastructure. I think the initial intent, or at least the starting intent, is that it's uh, everything you need is encapsulated within this solution, which I don't think is going to be the use case for most enterprises. So the downside to the hosted version is that depending on how you set up your application, the server project either becomes a middleman for all your API calls. So the client calls into the server and the server calls the external APIs, whether they're company APIs or a third party, or the server is just there for the middleware and the the program services that it provides. And the client talks to third party APIs directly. Hey folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, I, I have to complain. I mean, when I started in tech like 20 years ago, one of the first things they taught me was to use tail and grep to find the problem on a server. And uh, I, I don't do that anymore. Um, I have to say Raygun kind of solves that problem for me and picks up all the stuff that really is relevant to the request or whatever that ha- came in. Um, I'm curious, do you find that with kind of the oldsters like me, a common thing? or I think there's definitely better approaches to solving some of these problems now. You know, I... <laughs> I always used to think of logging. I heard this great analogy once. It was like, you know, logging tools are like coffins. Things go in there. They very rarely come out, you know, um, and you feel safe because it's there. But there's so much noise. Understanding what's Mm -hmm. important and what's not takes a lot of effort. Um, Yeah. And I mean, you know, often I talk about Raygun's crash reporting product as being like a black box flight recorder. Like, just tell me when the plane blows up because I need to fix that really urgently, (laughs) you know. Um, and that's been hugely valuable. And you don't need to tail that. That's true. You know, folks, you should just go get Raygun and then you can see when stuff breaks 
what matters. You can get it at raygun.com. They actually are doing a free trial, so go check it out. So you also mentioned that the hosted ones is for like not just for .NET, right? So if that was the case, like you had a node, would you would, would that server side project be a, like a node? Well, the the, sta- the standalone doesn't require a .NET backend. The hosted one is expecting that you're going to be using one, and you could call all the APIs that are whatever. But within within the context of this solution template, it's all it expects it to all be .NET. Yeah, but it's it's interesting because. In the hosted version, you could technically reference in your framework core and add some DB context to the server project and call databases from it directly, which I think is iffy because even though you have this API that can do all of that, it still gets bundled up along with the client, right? And the idea, right, with the spa is you're not going to get direct database access because there's so much that is accessible in the browser by the user. So it's it's interesting that they made these two options or two choices that are really very different in how you approach building your WebAssembly app. For instance, the hosted version doesn't have the same issue with the cores pre-flight uh, redirect that the standalone version has. But the hosted version has more issues with the ASP.NET Core environment that we talked about several episodes ago and all the quirks that come in there. It has more issues with that than standalone, right? So neither one of them are perfect. They both have their issues and things you have to, to figure out how best you want to make them work. But it, it's I'd be interested to hear why they chose these two approaches. So. Do you reckon it's, uh, there are certain use cases where you should use standalone versus hosted, or is it just a matter of preference? I think, really, it probably comes down to a matter of preference for the most part. I would definitely use standalone if you're not going to do any backend stuff or if you aren't going to necessarily be using a .NET backend. But I do think, in most cases, people will end up using the hosted version because of the the benefits you get from having that separation between your client and server that's still all WebAssembly. So what's what gets sent to the client? Is there much difference in the, the, the download size? Yeah. Yeah. Not not a significant difference. There there is a bit more with the hosted version, especially depending on what kind of NuGet packages you choose to use and, and you know if you're talking with identity server and that factors in. But the size, if you spun both of them up, created each one and published the output, size is not going to be that much different. It's more how it bundles it and where it publishes it to that is the difference, which is which is really the the interesting part or one of the interesting parts. So, so what do you think is more popular? Are people trying to tending to go with the uh, WebAssembly version or people probably sticking with Blazor Server? Well, initially, I think Server was more popular, right? Because it was the only option you had. Since WebAssembly has gone after it went final, production ready, I I would believe that it is probably the more popular version. WebAssembly gives you a lot more flexibility, right? And how you build it and where you deploy it to and resource usage, number of concurrent users. And I know there there are ways to make all this work with Blazor Server, but I feel at this point, Blazor Server is probably much better suited to uh, an internal company app, an intranet deal, uh, an admin tool that's only used by 
a small number of people. I think if you're trying to reach a large user base or you already have a number of clients that you're servicing, I think WebAssembly is the is the better option. So I think if it hasn't already overtaken the server, I think it will. Well, I mean, I don't think there's really... I mean, like in the long run, it makes much more sense to to outsource your processing power yep. to, um, to the client um, instead of processing it yourself. You know, it makes more economical sense, I guess. So I, I don't know, like, are there, I don't really see any, or are there any redeeming features for Bla- um, Blazor server other than we started, we started doing this, you know, before WebAssembly was available. That would like, I wonder if Microsoft will eventually make it just deprecate it, basically, because it's, there's no uh, use I don't for know. It. Well, I don't know that they'll deprecate it. I do think it's going to end up having limited use in the long run. But for developers, it's a great experience because you don't have to worry about talking to an API necessarily or going back and forth mm. from a front end to a back end. It's all on the back end, right? And so instead of having to make HTTP, HTTP requests to, to an API, you just call a method on a controller you're, that's in your same namespace, right? Mm. And you're off and running. So I don't see them deprecating it. They may. Who knows? And, and you know, and depending on the, the data they have and the number of people using it and, you know, all that stuff, they may end up not supporting it long term. But I, I think it definitely has its use cases. And I know a couple of good people, uh, people that love uh, Blazor server. So cool. Okay. Yeah. So I've been able to spend uh, much time with it, really no time at all uh, recently with Blazor. Do they have a version out that uh, is kind of like the equivalent of Electron? Can you do that yet? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think think that's the intention of hybrid, right? I think you can package it up like you would Electron, but I think that's still experimental. But I f- And this is something that I haven't delved into much at all either. But as Maui becomes more not popular but well baked because i think i think it's i believe it's still experimental at this point once once that's fully fleshed out and is a release candidate i think they're really looking for people to use blazer and maui together in concert to as daniel roth has said on one of our previous episodes being able to run blazer anywhere literally anywhere right desktop mobile web Raspberry Pi, whatever. So I don't know that it's quite there yet, but I do know that they're getting there, or that's that's one of the paths that they're that they're uh, pursuing. Okay. Anything else that uh, you want to go over, or should we move on to picks? Oh, there's plenty more that I can go over, but it, but it's yeah. uh, it's different stuff. It's not it's not in the same same vein as the templates. So I think I think this is probably more than enough blazer for for one episode. Okay. We can save that. Yeah, we could save that. You know. <laughs> let our listeners know if they have to you have to keep listening to find out more about blazer. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> keep them coming back for more, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. 
So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Okay, so let's go on to picks. Caleb, what's your pick? Mine is an adult cartoon. And no, not not the kind of adult cartoon you people are thinking about. It's not that kind. It's, it is an adult swim cartoon called uh, Primal. And I think it's also on Amazon. But it's, I'll watch an episode and then six months later, come back and watch another episode. It's really well done. The focus is on the art and the animation. There's very little voice or speech. I don't think the, the main character talks ever. He just grunts. Uh, but, but the story is still really, it's really well done. So if you're interested in watching a, a different animation or adult anime, it's not anime, but then take a look at Primal. Okay. All right. Why? Well, what do you got for a pick? Yeah. So, so I went to the dentist like the other day and apparently I was told that I have to do more frosting, but I actually hate, I hate doing that because it's kind of, kind of gross getting that between your teeth, but. But he told me that there was this device called a water pick. It's basically like it's like a it's like a high pressure spray kind of thing that you that you use as an alternative to frosting. And yeah, water is pretty good. It's like something you can kind of like it's all waterproof, so you can just do it when you're in the shower kind of thing. And yeah, it makes it makes my mouth actually feel really really clean. So I thought I'd use that for my um pick this week. So cool. So you got one of those. Portable ones, battery-operated ones, because they make other versions that are like you set them on the counter. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I didn't get the the counter one because yeah, because it's pretty messy, right? Um, <laughs> water goes everywhere, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably definitely works better. Yeah, doing it in the shower. Yeah, yeah. Right, cool. My pick this week is a website where you can actually test out various different uh, programming fonts. Yeah, I got the itch to kind of check out Writer as an IDE and there's all sorts of configurability stuff that's in Writer. And so I was just kind of getting lost in all the different configuration settings and themes and figuring out what you, you know, how I wanted to look and layout. And so I went out and I said, okay, well, I wonder what, maybe I should look at uh, different fonts that I want to use. I've used in the past, I've used like JetBrains Mono, I've used uh, Cascadia Code and things like that, but I wanted to see, you know, what are my choices. So I went and found this uh, website actually let you do a, a comparison between a bunch of different ones. And I found actually uh, two different websites. One is actually programmingfonts.org. And the other one is this devfonts.gafi.dev. And the this last one is the one that I found first. And it was nice because it's got the most popular ones. And you can, you can tell it to go into comparison mode. So it only shows you the ones that you want to look at. So... If you're in the, in the hunt for a, a new font, want to see what uh, is out there that might be uh, more preferable to your your tastes than what you're using now, then check out either of these websites. So, so cool. Dennis got you thinking about Writer, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a little tired. And I, I'm waiting for them to come out with the ReSharper that's out of process mm. yeah. in Visual Studio so it, it performs better. But I'm still kind of tired with how long it takes to launch and hmm. you always get in this, this extension has slowed down Video Studio. Do you want to disable it or whatever? And so I keep on getting that with ReSharper, even though I've, I've used ReSharper forever and ever and uh, I like what it provides, but the performance is just kind of wearing on me. Gotcha. Yeah. Maybe that's what they want now these days. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows? So they've been working on the out of process for years and years. Huh? So mm. I don't know. So hopefully, yeah. I thought maybe with Visual Studio 2022 they would actually release that, but it still hasn't came out. So yeah. I thought I would just 
you know, experiment with, with writer and see how it goes. So I'll report on that later. Still, cool. jury's out on that right. for me. All right, guys. Nice talking mm-hmm. about Blazer. Right. All right. If our listeners want to get in touch with me, uh, get in touch with the show, they can find me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm at Caleb Wells Coach. All right, guys. We'll catch our listeners on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Thank you. Cheers. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.